and welcome to You've Got to Read This, a podcast for those with a passion for reading. Each year, hundreds of thousands of books are published in the U.S. Millions are published worldwide. Join us as we navigate the world of books in hopes of introducing you to something new. I'm Michelle Dubois. And I'm Renee Seinfeld. And you're listening to You've Got to Read This. Our first book today is a comedic drama entitled Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead. It's a debut novel by white Canadian author Emily Austin. The novel takes place in present-day Canada, and the story surrounds the main character, Gilda, who is just shy of 30 years old and suffers from debilitating anxiety and depression. When the story begins, Gilda is in a rough place. She's just been fired from her job at a bookstore. She struggles with existential dread every day, and she frequents the ER with panic attacks. But then she comes across a flyer offering free therapy, and she decides to take action to better her life. When she shows up at the address posted on the flyer, however, she's surprised to find that the address is a Catholic church. Not interested in getting therapy through religion, Gilda turns to leave and bumps into the priest. The priest mistakes Gilda for a job applicant to replace the church's recently deceased secretary. Excited about the prospect of having someone under the age of 70 who knows how to use a computer, the priest offers Gilda the job right on the spot. Nervous about even having this interaction with the priest and being without a job, Gilda blurts out an acceptance. Comedy ensues when Gilda fails to disclose to the priest that she is a gay atheist. The novel is written in the first person, so the reader spends the entire book in the anxiety-filled mind of Gilda. Several plot lines are running parallel to Gilda's charade at work of pretending to be straight and Catholic, like a well-intentioned church member is pressing Gilda to date her nephew, the police are investigating the former secretary's death, and Gilda witnesses her brother's struggle with alcoholism while their parents willfully ignore it. And all of this is happening while Gilda is trying to hide her anxiety and panic attacks from everyone around her. The story combines sobering issues with cringeworthy laugh-out-loud moments. And the novel gives the reader the opportunity to laugh about daily struggles and to find the humor in the things that cause us pain. I really enjoyed the overall theme in the book, that no one is impervious to pain. And you know, there was one moment in this book that I found especially meaningful, and that is when Gilda is sitting in the back row at Mass, glancing at all of the elderly people, and she thinks... All of these people made it. They're in their 80s. They survived world wars and polio. They survived riding in cars without seatbelts <laughs> and secondhand smoke. And Gilda has this moment of awe that surrounding her are the survivors of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think both of us, we just adored this yeah. book. The protagonist's thoughts and observations are funny and genuine, and it's just a heartwarming book. For our listeners, if you enjoyed novels like Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine and A Man Called Ove, then you've got to read Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead by Emily Austin. This book was published in 2021 by Atria Books, and the author's last name is spelled A-U-S-T-I-N. The novel A Pair of Wings by Carol Hopson is an historical fiction based on the life of pioneer aviatrix and stunt daredevil Bessie Coleman. To tell the story of Bessie Coleman, you have to tell the story of America in the early 20th century. 
You have to talk about the great migration out of the South by newly free African Americans in search of a better life. You have to talk about the Wright brothers' first flight in 1903 and of rapid global innovation in aviation, which led to the first fighter planes in World War I. Author Carol Hobson delivers a rich and mesmerizing history of an era that bore Bessie Coleman. Born in Texas in 1892, barely 30 years after Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation and only 27 years after black Texans learned of their freedom, Bessie Coleman's mother was a former slave and her father a Choctaw Indian. At the age of 11, Bessie Coleman knew she wanted to fly after learning about the Wright brothers' first flight in 1903. But even a decade later, no American flight school would accept an African-American woman. Undeterred and with the help of some prominent black friends in Chicago, they found an aviator school in France willing to admit her. And so, Bessie Coleman learned French, went to France, and went on to become the first American to earn an international civilian pilot's license. I just loved this book. I got immersed into Bessie Coleman's life and didn't want this book to come to an end. The backdrop that Carol Hobson paints for this novel is so rich. The novel addresses black migration, the dawn of aviation, and not to be overlooked, she weaves in the important role of things like the Chicago Defender, a black-owned newspaper whose founder, Robert Abbott, was one of Bessie Coleman's first and most ardent supporters. Renee, what did you think of this book? I love this book too, and I could not put it down. Um, I have three thoughts to share about it. Mm -hmm. First, to echo what you said about the backdrop, Carol Hobson includes so much history in this novel, which I love, and she does it in such a casual, effortless way. Sentence here, sentence there. Men are talking together in a Chicago barbershop, for example, and one man mentions that there's this new sport called football that everyone's been talking about, and then, and then she moves on with the story. The whole book is sprinkled with history in this manner, which really immerses you into this era of American history. Yeah, I found myself reaching for my phone throughout this book, curious to know if certain characters or places were real, like Jesse Binga, a prominent black American banker who Bessie Coleman had an affair with, and the Bronzeville neighborhood in Chicago. Yeah, and I really enjoyed learning about the Chicago Defender, the newspaper that her two of her brothers were, were Pullman porters, and they would sneak those newspapers down south where the newspaper was illegal in several states. That mm. was that was amazing history. Um, second, I feel like learning Bessie Coleman's history is a reminder that the exclusion of people of color from American history is a form of racism. Most Americans know who Amelia Earhart is. When you Google Amelia Earhart, listed among her achievements is that she was the 16th woman to earn the International Civilian Pilot's License. Mm. I don't know who number two through 15 were, but I now know Bessie Coleman was the first woman. In fact, she was the first American, black, white, Native American, male, or female to hold that license. You know, and it's shameful that history forgot Bessie Coleman because she was famous in her day. After earning her wings in France, she went on to Germany to learn aeronautics and became a barnstormer, thrilling American audiences with her daredevil tricks at aviation shows. And thousands, thousands of people attended her funeral. In fact, she had multiple memorial services in Jacksonville and Orlando, Florida. And in Chicago, where she's buried, it's estimated that 10 to 15,000 mourners passed by her casket. That really speaks to her popularity and notoriety during her lifetime. And, you know, my third point is that the author's life is as exciting as Bessie Coleman's, living her life now 100 years later. 
Carol Hobson began her career in journalism. From there, she moved into a corporate career working for the NFL, Foot Locker, and L'Oreal. But in her heart, there was always something else she longed to do, and that was to fly airplanes. At 36 years old, she left her career and went to flight school and is now a United Airlines pilot flying 737 airplanes out of Newark. And when Carol Hobson learned about Bessie Coleman's dream to open a flight school for black students, she decided to make that dream a reality by creating the 100 Pair of Wings Project, whose aim is to enroll 100 black women in flight school by the year 2035. 20% of profits from the sale of each book go toward this goal. You can visit the foundation's website at jetblackfoundation.org. The book title again is A Pair of Wings, a novel inspired by pioneer aviatrix Bessie Coleman, written by Carol, with an E, Hopson, H-O-P-S-O-N. It was published in June 2021 by Jet Black Press. So Renee, you have some interesting books in your pile there. Let's, uh, let's dig in. Yeah, so the first book I came across at Gibson's Bookstore in Concord, New Hampshire. It's a wonderful bookstore. I was just sitting there on an end cap. Um, It's called The Apocalypse 7 by Jean Doucette. It's a dystopian novel. The novel takes place in New England and follows seven characters as they each wake up to find that everyone has disappeared. All people have just vanished. One character, for example, is a hardware freshman and wakes up to a vacant dormitory. There's no one on campus, no one in the streets. Everyone's just gone. The other six characters each wake up experiencing the same thing, but in different parts of New England. As the story progresses, all seven of these people begin to cross paths, and the story eventually roots itself in Cambridge, Massachusetts. While following each of these characters on their way to Cambridge, they each encounter strange phenomena. For example, one character finding no one around stops in at his friend's house and on that friend's bulletin board, he finds a missing persons poster with his own face on the poster. Okay, wait. So he's one of the last remaining people on earth, presumably, and yet sometime between going to bed the prior night and waking up the next morning, he has gone missing. Well, the, the world has gone missing, yet the poster shows him missing on the friend's bulletin board. Okay, and now then, I'm intrigued. Yeah, and then each person comes across things. I can't see more than that, but they each come across something that gives you an indication what is going on here. It's, it's, it's really fun. It's a really fun unfolding. Okay, keep going. And then the storyline involves into several subplots. All seven people are obviously dealing with the shock of everyone disappearing. They're all figuring out how they're going to survive moving forward. There's no power. Cars don't even work anymore. And they're trying to figure out what happened to all of the people. And they do find out. There are a lot of dystopian novels where there's some kind of apocalyptic event and then the story evolves into the predictable nice people battling really vicious people. And I felt like the Apocalypse 7 just throws that whole storyline out and does something completely fresh. The seven characters in the novel are all really likable. You like them all. They all have something to contribute. It's a very diverse group of people. So in the absence of that traditional dystopian conflict, the novel really evolves into a scientific mystery, which was really fun. And there were a lot of really clever twists. Um, Several things kind of going on without giving things away. And it was was pleasurable beginning to end. Uh, I think if folks enjoy dystopians or if they even enjoy mysteries 
they should really add this one to their to-be-read pile. The title of the book, again, is The Apocalypse 7 by Jean Doucette. It was published in May of this year by Mariner Books. Jean Doucette is a white American author who lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He's written over 20 books, and I'm so grateful I came across this novel at the bookstore because it's the first novel of his I've ever read, and I'm really looking forward to reading some of his other books. His first name is spelled G-E-N-E. His last name is spelled D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E. All right, you've piqued my interest where sci-fi meets mystery, so this sounds like a good one. Thanks for the review. Yeah, and I hope you like the next one, too. Um, so my next pick is fast and entertaining. It's entitled Bullet Train by Japanese author Kotaro Asaka. Kotaro Asaka is a very popular mystery and thriller author in Japan. Bullet Train is his second novel now translated into English. It just came out this past August and is published by Abrams Books. Set in Japan, the entire novel takes place on a Shinkansen or bullet train, which are some of the fastest passenger trains in the world. Hmm. The premise of the story is that unbeknownst to each other, five assassins board the same train in Tokyo, each with an assignment to do on board. One assassin boards the train with a vengeful plan of killing someone who harmed a member of his family. Two other assassins who work as a team are assigned to bring someone and a bag of money to a mob boss in Morioka. As the story unfolds, you meet each of the assassins and find out each of their assignments. You also experience their personalities and learn the backstory of some of these characters. Over time, some of the assassins become aware of each other's presence on the train, and then the plot thickens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not someone who would walk into a bookstore seeking a novel with a plot line about assassins, but I heard about this book and found out that it was actually a dark comedy, and I got it for that reason. Having said that, I thoroughly enjoyed this book and couldn't wait to get back to it every time I put it down. Um, it's a really clever plot. It deals with several themes, school bullying, uh, the arrogance of youth, and the book has an incredibly satisfying ending. Okay, is this a really violent book because it's about assassins? I'm thinking Quentin Tarantino. Not at all. It's, um, I would say it's more PG-13. Okay. kind of thriller it's a mashup between agatha christie's murder on the orient express and K killing eve that tv oh, show killing eve yeah, love that. it's a thriller but it's also a dark comedy so it's kind of fun in that way oh i love it it reminds me of samuel l jackson and john travolta in pulp fiction when they're kind of kibitzing together it reminds me of if folks have watched the umbrella academy you know remember cha-cha and her assassin partner so it's kind of funny in that way got it and on a fun note, this novel is currently being adapted to film by Sony Pictures. It's going to be coming out in 2022, I think in the spring, and it's going to star Brad Pitt, Hiroyuki Sanada, Sandra Bullock, and Masioka. So it's going to mm. be quite a film. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. And um, yeah, read the book first. Always read the book first. So I saw you Googling about bullet trains. Tell mm -hmm. us how fast do these trains go and tell us like in comparison to an airplane, how fast is this? Yeah, so I was Googling it and the fastest bullet train right now is in Japan and it goes at a top speed of 375 miles per hour. Okay. And it's fast. It is fast. And they're not even carrying passengers because they're still building the track. And the fastest train right now that's carrying passengers is in China and it goes 373 miles per hour. So there, there's this, always this constant competition of the fastest train and they're incredible. So they're 
they're opposing magnets. So when these trains start moving, they're on wheels, but as they pick up speed, the wheels retract and it's oppose, opposing magnets. And they're like four, these trains are like four inches off the rail, oh hovering. Goodness. So it's practically like the train is flying. Yeah, it's, it's really it's incredible. Levitating. Oh yeah. God, that's wild. Anyway, kind of fun. So how fast does the plane go? The planes at a cruising altitude, commercial airlines go at like 550, 575 miles per hour. So these these uh, bullet trains are really catching up. Wow. Yeah, at speed. That's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, fun book. Uh, it's called Bullet Train. The author's uh, first name is spelled K-O-T-A-R-O. His last name is spelled I-S-A-K-A. While in New York City this past summer, Renee and I stopped at the Center for Fiction in Brooklyn. If you're not familiar with it, the Center for Fiction is a unique bookstore and nonprofit that supports childhood literacy and offers writing programs for budding authors. The Center for Fiction is where I purchased a petite book entitled Whereabouts, a novel by American author Jhumpa Lahiri. Set in an Italian city, Whereabouts is written in the first person by an unnamed narrator, a single, independent, middle-aged woman with a career, a few close friends, ex-lovers, and an elderly mother. The narrator protagonist prefers life in a bustling city over the quiet rural outposts, and yet she exists mostly in solitude. In each chapter, she shares her thoughts and emotions about daily life, sometimes as a participant and other times as an observer. I loved this book for its introspective nature. I enjoyed reading the thoughts and observations of the narrator, asking myself if I agreed with her or not. At times I found myself nodding with understanding, while other times frowning in disagreement. Written like a journal, but in real time, each chapter captures pieces of the narrator's day and her stream of consciousness while on a walk, at a dinner party, at work, out with friends, or interactions with her aging mother. As a first-person narrative, there is very little dialogue between the characters. There are almost no characters to speak of. The main characters are truly the narrator and the city. At 157 pages, this book can be considered a novella. Even the chapters are petite. Most of them are only two to four pages long. The story is composed of short and seemingly independent episodes of the narrator's daily life, but they all come together in the end. This novel was such a pleasure to read, I found it calming and peaceful, and in some ways I can't even explain why, but I would read one to four chapters at a time, usually before bed, and let the narrator's words ruminate in my mind. It was wonderfully stimulating, but it also silenced the noise in my own head after a long day. An interesting fact about this book is that Lahiri wrote the original version in Italian, and it was published first in Italy in 2018 under the title Dove Mi Trovo. Lahiri translated the novel herself into English, and it was published in the U.S. and Canada by Knopf in 2021. Jhumpa Lahiri is an American author from Rhode Island. Born in England to Bengali parents, her family moved to the United States when she was just a child. Lahiri has won several awards for her work, including the Pulitzer Prize, and one of her novels, entitled Namesake, was adapted to the movie screen in 2007 under the same name. If you're looking for a short but compelling novel, then you've got to read Whereabouts by Jhumpa Lahiri, or in Italian, Dove Mi Trovo. 
The author's name is spelled J-H-U-M-P-A. Her last name is spelled L-A-H-I-R-I. We came upon a wonderful literary sanctuary on a recent trip to Spain. It's a bookstore and cafe called La Centrale del Raval. It's located in the heart of Barcelona. La Centrale, for short, is a hidden oasis situated in a narrow, centuries-old pedestrian street just steps away from the Gothic Quarter and Las Ramblas. Housed in a two-story stone building built in the mid-1700s, this bookstore and cafe was originally a chapel. There are two entrances into the bookstore. One is through two towering wood doors that make you feel like you're entering a fortress. The other entrance is through an exterior Spanish courtyard. It is in the courtyard where you will find yourself in the beautiful outdoor cafe with ivy-colored stone walls, a water fountain, and large palm tree and a canvas umbrella that provides shade over most of the tables. The menu for the cafe is entirely in the language of Catalan, one of five languages spoken in Spain. This is incredibly significant because from 1939 to 1975, the brutal dictator Francisco Franco forbid people in Spain from speaking Catalan. Many in the region of Catalonia have been arguing for independence from Spain, and therefore the use of the Catalan language is a symbol of that fight for autonomy and independence. Not knowing ourselves how to speak or read Catalan, we told the waitress we were vegetarians and entrusted ourselves to her to bring us plate after plate of incredible food. Fresh figs and cheese, potatoes with aioli, toasted bruschetta with olives. It was a delicious meal. Mm -hmm. And the bookstore itself is a general interests bookstore with a large selection of books. And much to our delight, it even had a small section of books in English. You can find some photos of La Centrale del Raval on our Facebook page, and if you ever find yourself in Barcelona, you must carve out time to visit this bookstore and cafe. Now, it's not our intention to review hotels on this podcast, but one of the hotels we stayed at in Barcelona, Spain, is worth the mention. Hotel Casa Volver is a fabulous book-themed boutique hotel. Just a four-minute walk to the bookstore La Centrale del Raval, Hotel Casa Volver overlooks Las Ramblas, a bustling tree-lined street with a wide pedestrian island running through the center. Along the streets are a plethora of cafes, restaurants, and shops. We knew we had chosen the right hotel upon entering the lobby that features a cozy sitting room with built-in bookshelves, reading lamps next to the chairs, and contemporary artwork hanging on the walls. Our room was decorated in a similar fashion, but included a bump-out of floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking La Rambla. That, when opened, let the sounds of the city in. Before we left, we contributed two books of our own to the bookshelves in our room, room number four. One book was The Salt Path by Rainer Wynne, which we highlighted in episode seven. I finally got a chance to read this book while on vacation, and I'm absolutely in love with this book. I actually had a hard time walking away from it when I left it in the room. (laughs) The other book is Still Life by Sarah Winman, which is already out in England and will be released in the U.S. on November 2nd. It's a gorgeous book that we'll be discussing on our next episode. And in each of the books, we left one of our newly printed You've Got to Read This bookmarks. That wraps up this episode, but thank you so much for listening. And please remember, you can purchase any of the books we discussed today by clicking the link to our bookshop page. We receive a portion of each purchase that goes towards the production for the podcast. 
please like us and give us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. And most importantly, thank you for listening to You've Got to Read This.